All right, good morning. Welcome to Hope and Anchor Church. It's great to see you here today. And I hope that uh, God has been at work in your life in a way that you can recognize this week because we can trust that He is at work in our life. He's in at, work, at work in us, through us, and around us. Uh, and sometimes it's a matter of us just paying attention and really kind of showing up and being uh, attentive and participant in that. Uh, so may God increase our awareness uh, because He's still at work. He's still at work and we still have opportunity to be a part of that. And that's pretty great. <laughs> Um, I'm happy to see you. I'm happy to uh, continue in our teaching series called Rock of Ages. This is week number four in our teaching series. And what we're doing is we are walking with the Apostle Peter. And uh, we're spending the first section of this teaching series basically just looking at Peter, getting to know him, getting to kind of experience what he experienced in his life with Jesus and his ministry, things like that, before we jump into his letters, 1 Peter and 2 Peter. Um, so this week's uh, message is called Imposter. Imposter. Now, if you were here last week, um, it's a pretty dynamic message, really. Uh, we talked about Mr. Bean. Uh, I don't know if you're a Mr. Bean fan. Some are, some are. Uh, but anyway, we talked about those times when we find ourselves put into positions or put into roles uh, for which we feel like we might not be qualified. Uh, we might actually be uh, wildly inadequate. Anyone been in those situations before? Or was that just me? I always fear that I see one of the feelings of inadequacy is like I have a very poor sense of reading the room. Maybe I preach messages that just aren't about anybody but me, right? What we talked about with Mr. Bean is there was a scene in the movie called Bean uh, where he was mistaken for a surgeon. Remember, he like picked up a stethoscope that a doctor drop and dropped and people thought he was a surgeon because he had the stethoscope and they rushed him into the surgery where he ends up doing surgery and it's pretty funny. Terrible, but funny. But just like that, um, Simon Peter was recruited by Jesus to be one of his inner circle disciples. Just like Mr. Bean and just like Simon Peter must have felt, we too can find ourselves in situations that make us feel like a mistake has been made somewhere along the way, right? We have all had times when we felt like the wrong person had been picked. A sense of mistaken identity often haunts those chosen for important tasks. A sense of mistaken identity often haunts those chosen for responsibilities that seem, for many reasons, beyond our capacity. But we find this feeling is common. We find, this, we find that this feeling is common among those called to lead, maybe especially among those called to lead in the life with Christ. I mean, could the stakes be higher? I mean, put yourselves in a pastor's loafers for a minute. Because that's what pastors wear, loafers, right? Uh, what, could the stakes be any higher than being called and put into a position where you are leading people in the Christian life? Leading people in matters of faith where life and death is on the line. No pressure, guys. <laughs> Don't mess this one up, right? It's a high-pressure role. But more than that, did you know that 25 to 30 percent of people in positions of leadership feel like frauds most of the time? Not frogs, frauds. They feel like they're fakes. They're faking it. Imposter syndrome is very common, especially among high achievers. According to Psychology Today, 70% of adults will feel some degree of imposter syndrome at some point in their life. Have you, do you know what imposter syndrome is? 
Maybe you're more familiar with it than you care to be, right? Maybe you felt this way before. Like, oh my, if they only knew. So what is imposter syndrome? People who struggle with imposter syndrome believe that they are undeserving of their achievements and the high esteem in which they are in fact generally held. They get it. They understand what people think of them for the most part, but they feel like, oh man, if they only knew, they would not think this of me. They would not think this highly of me. They feel that they aren't as competent or intelligent as others might think, and that soon enough, people will discover the truth. Like there's going to be scandal. I mean, on CNN, that's going to be what's running along the bottom of the screen is like local pastor turns out to be an absolute idiot, you know, has no business being up there, you know, wastes his time slaving over a hot Bible each week, you know. Um, those with imposter syndrome, according to Psychology Today, are often well accomplished. They may hold high office or have numerous academic degrees. Why do people with imposter syndrome feel like frauds even though there is abundant evidence for their success? Instead of acknowledging their capabilities as well as their efforts, they often attribute their accomplishments to external or transient causes such as luck good timing or effort that they cannot regularly expend. Whether in the areas of academic achievement or career success, a person can struggle with pressure and personal expectations. What this means is a large percentage of the people that you look up to, a large percentage of the people you look up to in the media, uh, that you look up to in the workplace, at church, in the school, or in your social circles, at root, truth be told, they feel undeserving. They feel undeserving and they feel incompetent some or all of the time. Many of the people in your life, many of those you look up to, feel like imposters. True story. For me, despite my cool and collected demeanor, I feel out of place most Sundays. I think some of you know this, but I, I sweat a lot. I have to pick my shirt so that I don't have just, I'm not the Lord of the Rings every Sunday. Because I sweat. I don't, my armpits don't sweat a lot any other time except Sunday mornings. It's terrible. It, but enough about me. Um, <laughs> enough about my armpits. Um, my self-talk, even now, is quietly murmuring things like, you have no business being up here and you have no idea what you're doing. And that's not a poor me thing. It's, it's just true. I've been doing this long enough to know, thinking that it might go away at some point. But some, some Sundays are worse than others. It's scary to get up here. Not because I'm afraid of you. For the, mostly not. It's not. I'm pretty much not afraid of you. But I'm afraid of me. I feel like if you found out how inadequate I feel, how unqualified and incompetent I, I feel at times you would be running from the building and people would be like is it on fire it's like no it's my pastor so how about you do you fear being found out like I do I don't know uh, are you terrified by what would happen if people knew how uncertain and how un incapable you feel even right now how often, <laughs> how you're mostly flying by the seat of your pants, just hoping that maybe it just won't fall apart today. 
I mean, sometimes that's the best hope. The biggest hope you have is like, well, maybe today it won't go up in a big mushroom cloud. <laughs> That'd be great. You know, maybe it won't fall apart today. What would result if people saw behind the curtain of your life? My son, Teddy, watched uh, The Wizard of Oz, I think, for the first time this past week or two. And uh, you remember that scene at the end where the great and powerful Oz is like, oh, blah, blah. I forget what he's saying. But anyway, Toto runs over and pulls the curtain back and they see this like sweaty, nervous guy like pulling all these levers. He, he's Oz. He's that guy. He's like making this whole facade. The charade happened and he's just like, yeah, shut the curtain. Guys, that's how I feel. That's how you feel. What if people in your life saw behind the curtain? Would they be horrified? Would they demand your resignation? Would they call for an investigation? Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> it's not a good feeling, but frankly, it's not a very uncommon feeling either. It's not uncommon for us all to struggle at some level in some way with imposter syndrome, feeling like we are in the wrong role, doing the wrong thing because we just don't have what it takes. Being given responsibility yet still possessing a degree of humility, <laughs> being given responsibility yet still possessing a degree of self-awareness will lead inevitably into times of doubt and, and insecurity. But, here's the thing, apparently that's okay. I feel like Stuart Handy. <laughs> apparently that's okay. Um, Jesus seems to understand that about those he picks to follow him and even lead, lead the church, both then and now. Jesus knows all about you, knows all your fear and frailty, all your sense of insecurity. And he's like, I know. Get in here. He's okay with it. Weird as that may sound, as we continue getting to know the Apostle Peter in this series, Rock of Ages, we find that Peter was an ordinary guy leading just an ordinary life. Jesus comes along, though, and calls him to follow him and to become his disciple. And this, my friends, was a gigantic surprise, not just to Peter, but to everybody around Peter. When a rabbi came to Peter and said, hey, follow me, be my disciple, everybody, including Peter, was like, uh, what? <laughs> no, you know, did he look behind him like, me? Me? I, me as a disciple? Peter wasn't considered disciple material. In his younger years, when he had the chance to become disciple material, he was cut from the team. In his younger years, he didn't make the Talmudim cut. That's what a, a young disciple of a rabbi was called, a Talmudim. He wasn't he didn't make that team. He was told in no uncertain terms that he didn't have what it takes to become a religious leader in Israel. Quite surprisingly, after being called by Jesus, though, Peter not only becomes a disciple, he becomes the leader of the disciples. Although Peter was not the first disciple called to follow Jesus, you remember, the, the Gospels tell us how Jesus started calling, and Peter wasn't the first one. He wasn't the first, but in all the Gospel records, he consistently heads the list of the disciples. What do you think it means that every time the disciples are listed in the Gospels, Peter's name comes first? What do you think that means? What does that signify? He was like the head of the disciples. He was the big cheese, right? He was the guy in charge. He was like a uh, representative of the disciples at times. But anyway, anytime there's a list, He's at the head of that list. Uh, I would point your attention to this. So write down some of these verses. You can look at these later, but um, Matthew 10, Matthew 10, verses 1 through 4. Uh, Mark, chapter 3, verses 13 through 19. 
Luke chapter 6, verses 12 through 16. All of these contain the lists of the apostles that Jesus called, and at the top of every list we find Simon Peter. Simon Peter, he's at the top of the list. Now, we know that Peter was the leader of the disciples then, but we also know that Peter became one of Jesus' inner ring of disciples with James and John. So Peter, James, and John, they become the three that at times where he tells the disciples, all right, sit and stay. You know, stay here. I've got to go do this thing. I've got to go do this miracle. I've got to go uh, confront this difficult situation. Stay here. But he says, you, you, and you, come with me. Who does he say it to? He says it to Peter, James, and John every time. Write these verses down if you'd like. Mark 5, 37. Mark 9, 2. Mark chapter 13, verse 3. Luke chapter 8, verse 51. All of these times are situations where Jesus is like, all right, I need you three to come with me, including miracle times, but also like Mount of Transfiguration. Peter, James, John, come with me. So, there is strong biblical evidence for Peter's leadership role among the disciples and in the early church in Jerusalem. But one really must ask why. <laughs> why was he picked? What did Jesus see here? Why was Peter picked? Um, although Peter lacked the religious qualifications of Torah study and of rabbinic selection early in his life, he was clearly chosen by Jesus. Jesus had all the people to pick from, and he chose Peter. So here's a clear takeaway. If Jesus picks you, who cares what others say? If Jesus picks you, who cares what you think? Who cares what others think? If Jesus picks you, that's what matters most. Above and beyond what you have or don't have, what you're capable of or what you're incapable of, if Jesus stands before you and says, I want you to follow me, that's all that matters. What did Jesus see in Peter? I want to know. Uh, I also want to know, how did Peter respond to being chosen? I mean, the Bible's uh, narrative is often pretty spare. But we can understand that he's human. And he had to struggle like we would struggle. You would struggle if Jesus said, hey, follow, follow me. When Jesus did say, follow me, you struggled too. So how did Peter struggle? So, and how did he respond? Among Peter's strengths and weaknesses, his personality traits and stuff, Jesus recognized Peter's potential. Jesus, when he looked at Peter, saw raw materials that he could use. But in the middle of that high calling to follow Jesus and to lead the disciples and help establish the church, he almost certainly at times felt a little out of his depth, a little bit out of place. Now, it's impossible for us to actually get in Peter's head and kind of hear his self-talk and see all the things he was uh, dealing with. We can look at his words and we can look at his actions to see how he embraced his role and how he was able to deal with imposter syndrome. Now, as we peruse scenes from Peter's time with Jesus, we gain insight into his inclinations and his attributes that can be helpful for us here today. As we strive to follow Jesus, and as we strive to lead others to faith, how do we deal with our insecurity, and how do we respond appropriately to the challenges we face in the with God life? How do we do that? Well, what did Peter do? This is one thing I love about Scripture is that it saves for us stories about real people coming to terms with the call on their life. 
Learning what it means to follow Jesus and learning to step into the roles and responsibilities uh, he has for us. We can look to Peter. So what did Peter do? WWPD. <laughs> I just thought of that. Just make bracelets. Um, well, we know that Peter was all too human at times, right? I mean, we get kind of an unvarnished view of Peter's life. He had some high times, low times, good times, bad times, right? Uh, we know he's all too humans, yet... We, he genuinely desired to grow closer to Jesus and to learn from his mistakes and grow from his experiences. So let's look at episodes from Peter's life to glean some life lessons. I've, call, I've titled this next section, <laughs> How to Stop Feeling Like a Fraud in the Christian Life in Three Easy Steps. Sound good? That sounds attractive, right? How to Stop Feeling Like a Fraud in the Christian Life in Three Easy Steps. Compliments of the Apostle Peter. Here we might just discover some helpful takeaways for us here today. Cool? All right, I'm going to give you the three steps, and we're going to unpack each of them real quick. First step, step one. Look for ways to exercise faith like Peter did. Look for ways to exercise faith like Peter did. Step one. Step two. Admit your ignorance and ask questions like Peter did. Admit your ignorance and ask questions like Peter did. And then step three. Confess your doubts and sinfulness like Peter did. Confess your doubts and sinfulness like Peter did. All right, let's unpack those. Look for ways to exercise your faith like Peter did. Uh, look at Matthew 14, 22 through 20, uh, 33. Immediately after this, this is Matthew 14, 22 through 33. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back in the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land, for a strong wind had risen and there were, they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking, Walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, It's a ghost! But Jesus spoke to them at once, Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here. And then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. And Jesus said, Yes, come. Yes, come. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me! Save me, Lord! He shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshipped him. You really are the Son of God, they exclaimed. You really are. What a crazy story. So much going on here. But what can we glean from it? Look, when confronted, when confronted with challenges and difficult situations that clearly stretch our ability, we too, like Peter, can press into our faith in Jesus and trust Him. Right? What do we see going on in the story? He's trusting in Jesus, gets out of the boats, walking on the water, then he gets intimidated, takes his eyes off Jesus, starts to sink, and does Jesus stand back and say, idiot, loser? No, what happens immediately after he starts sinking, Jesus is there extending his hand saying, come to me, come on, come on. He lifts him out of the water and he says, where's your faith? Where's your faith? Walking and sinking both, Jesus comes to him. 
Jesus holds him, calls him close, teaching him, growing him. Sometimes we will get to walk on water in our life with Jesus, in our faith in Jesus, our time with Him. Sometimes we will get to walk on water and sometimes we will sink. But every time, walking or sinking, we will encounter Jesus and learn from Him. May we hear that today. Walking or sinking, there is Jesus. Believe it or not, there were lessons for Peter to learn in both being above the waterline and being below the waterline. He was learning from Jesus while he was walking on the water and as he was floundering and drowning. He was learning from Jesus. And sometimes I think we miss this. When we're in the valley, when we're sinking, when we're feeling overwhelmed, we feel like, oh God, where are you? And he's like, right here. These are some of the most important moments, some of the most priceless times for you. Above the water and below, we can learn from Jesus and find Him close. Our faith will grow stronger as He calls us toward Himself. So look for ways to exercise your faith like Peter did. Step two, admit your ignorance and ask questions like Peter did. Uh, let's look at Matthew 15. Matthew 15. Wait, someone's got this one, don't they? Oh yeah, look, I've, got, I've asked people to read. <laughs> you don't have to listen to me all the time. Fancy that. Uh, listen to Matthew chapter 15, verses 1 through 20. You want to stand, honey? That's my wife. I don't call everybody honey. Some Pharisees and teachers of religious law now arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. They asked him, Why do your disciples disobey our age-old tradition? They ignore our tradition of ceremonial hand-washing before they eat. Jesus replied, Then why do you, by your traditions, violate the direct commandments of God? For instance, God says, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father and mother must be put to death. But you say it's all right for people to say to their parents, Sorry, I can't help you, for I vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. In this way, you say they don't need to honor their parents, and so you cancel the word of God for the sake of your own tradition. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. Then Jesus called to the crowd to come in here. Listen, he said, and try to understand. It's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. You are defiled by the words that come out of your mouth. Then the disciples came to him and asked, Do you realize you offended the Pharisees by what you just said? Jesus replied, Every plant not planted by my heavenly Father will be uprooted, so ignore them. They are blind guides leading the blind, and if one blind person guides another, they will both fall into a ditch. Then Peter said to Jesus, Explain to us the parable that says people aren't defiled by what they eat. Don't you understand yet, Jesus asked. Anything you eat passes from the stomach and then goes into the sewer, but the words you speak come from the heart. That's what defiles you. For from the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. These are what defile you. Eating with what unwashed hands will never defile you. Okay. Kind of an extended passage, an experience Jesus had. But what I love about the, the Apostle Peter in this, what does he do? do you, did you hear it? As things are kind of winding down, he steps toward Jesus and says, Hey, explain that to us. I don't get that. I was kind of raised in this, and I don't... That's a big paradigm shift. Are you saying it doesn't matter that we cleanse and follow the rituals and stuff? He says, Hey, explain to us the parable that says people aren't defiled by what they eat. I mean, what kind of attitude does this communicate about Peter? I mean, there's a lot of temptation to be a big D disciple. Be like, yeah, people. Yeah, what he said. 
No, but Peter's like, hey, I want to know. I, I didn't actually get that. What does that mean? Tell me more. Okay, uh, Luke 12, 35 through 41. Luke 12, 35 through 41. All right, Nathan, yeah. Be dressed for service and keep your lamps burning, as though you are waiting for your master to return from the wedding feast. Then you will be ready to open the door and let him in the moment he arrives and knocks. The servants who are ready and waiting for his return will be rewarded. I tell you the truth. He himself will seek them, put on an apron, and serve them as they sit and eat. He may come in the middle of the night or just before dawn. But whenever he comes, he will reward the servants who are ready. Understand this. If a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would not permit his house to be broken into. He must also be ready all the time, for the Son of Man will come when least expected. Peter asked, Lord, is that illustration just for us or for everyone? Yeah, so Peter's like, good story, Jesus. Is that for everybody or is that for just us? Uh, just clarifying. I mean, he's asking clarifying questions. That's what I love about Peter. He's like, there's not a lot of filter sometimes. Like, hey, is that for us or for everybody? Just, just want to know, Jesus. Just curious, okay? One more. Uh, John 13, 18 through 30. You got that, Ben? Yeah. I'm not saying these things to all of you. I know the ones I have chosen. But this, this fulfills the scripture that says, the one who eats my food is turned against me. I tell, tell you this beforehand, so that when it happens, you will believe that I am the Messiah. I tell you the truth. Anyone who welcomes a messenger is welcoming me. And anyone who welcomes me is welcoming the Father and the me. Now Jesus was deeply troubled, and he explained, explained, I tell you the truth. One of you will betray me. The disciples looked at each other, wondering who he could meet. The disciple Jesus loved was sitting next to Jesus at the table. Simon Peter motioned to him to ask, who, who are we talking about? So that disciple leaned over to Jesus and asked, Lord, who is it? Jesus responded, it is the one who I give the bread I dip in the bowl. And when he had dipped it, he gave it to Judas, Judas, son of Simon Iscariot. When Judas had eaten the bread, Satan entered into him. Then Jesus told him, hurry and do whatever you want to do. None of the others at the table knew what Jesus meant. Since Judas was the treasurer, some thought he was telling him to go and pay for the food or to give some money to the poor. Judas left at once, going out into the night. All right, so right before Jesus' arrest and betrayal, or uh, his betrayal and then arrest, uh, he's telling them what's about to happen, and it's Peter who leans over to the disciple that Jesus loved, who was John, right? He's like, who? Who do you think he's talking about? I'm curious. They're all curious, but Peter's the one who's like, hey, I don't know who he's talking about. Do you know? And then John asks, like, hey, Jesus, who are you talking about? But Peter's like, he's curious like a cat. I mean, he just wants to know. And he's always eager to ask and learn and discover. So when you're feeling pressure to have all the answers, guess what? You don't have to know everything. Even as a leader in a group, you don't have to be the expert uh, on everything, right? Even though we feel the pressure sometimes, you'll feel the pressure. You don't have to know. It's okay to say, I don't. I don't know. Truth is, you can let down. We can let down our guard. We can admit that we are finite. Shock horror, right? It's like, oh, what? We're finite. We have limits. 
We, as a leader even, can take a posture of curiosity, we can ask questions, and then we can grow in wisdom. That's the kind of leader I want. That's the kind of leader I want to be. I don't want to feel like I have to have everything buttoned up and have an answer for everything. I want to lead by taking a posture of curiosity. I want to lead by asking questions, and I want to be a, a leader in growing in wisdom. I want to set that, cult, that, that, that example. I want to develop that kind of a culture among the people that I have the privilege of leading. This, this, these type of things will help us to learn to listen more closely to the answers then that Jesus gives, both in Scripture, through prayer, and through the wise counsel of others. And it will help us to stay humble. We won't get a little too big for our britches. We won't start to think too highly of ourselves. We will understand that we've got room to grow. We've got uh, areas that need further development by the Holy Spirit. In doing so, when we listen closely to Jesus' answers, because we're willing to ask questions, we become more available to the Holy Spirit's work in us, through us, and around us. Do you believe that? Our posture makes a big difference. And when we're humble, when we're, uh, we have a, a posture of curiosity, we're willing to ask questions and admit when we don't know stuff, that's when the Holy Spirit is able to do His best works. So, step one, look for ways to exercise faith like Peter did. Step two, admit your ignorance and ask questions like Peter did. Step three, confess your doubts and sinfulness like Peter did. Confess your doubts and sinfulness. Uh, let's look at Luke 5, Luke 5, 1 through 11. One day, as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats on the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into the one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. Now he had finished, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boats, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh, Lord, please leave me. I am too much of a sinner to be around you. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. And Jesus replied to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. Do you see this story? Jesus does an incredible miracle among them. And what is Peter's response when he's confronted with the realization that this is the Son of God? This is Messiah. His response is... Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. We know that feeling, don't we? Like, Jesus, if you knew me, you wouldn't want to be with me. I have no business being with you, so please, I know who you are, and you probably know who I am, so please just go away. Go away. You have no business being around me because I'm too big of a sinner. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. But here's the thing. Jesus calls him to follow him. Peter recognizes how big of a sinner he is and how holy Jesus is. And what does Jesus do? Say, ha, you're right. He's like, no, get in here. Follow me. I will make you a fisher of men. 
He's like, what can we learn from that? Here's what, one thing. When hindered and beset by our sin and our doubt, go to Jesus. Go to Jesus and find welcome and find forgiveness. Jesus doesn't give up on us nearly as quickly as we give up on ourselves. This is one of the biggest revelations in adult life. Jesus doesn't give up on me nearly as quickly as I give up on me, right? If we trust that God is sovereign and He's seen the span of our days from before we were even born, He knows all the days of your life, your highs, your lows, your strengths, your weaknesses, your successes, your failures. The deeds done in public and the deeds done in private, he's seen it all, and he still said, yes. He still called you to himself to salvation through the work of his Holy Spirit. He still said, yes. And he didn't even keep the receipt. True story. The return window is closed. <laughs> he, doesn't, he knew, and he didn't keep his options open. He called you to himself to salvation on purpose, knowing what he was getting himself into. This is good news. Jesus not only loves you, but he also believes in you. We talk about believing in God, believing in Jesus, but we read the scripture narratives and the gospels and things like that, and we come away with the sense like, he believes in us. He has a certain kind of faith in us. What in the world? He believes I can do it. He believes I can be a part of it. What in the world? He believes in you. He is faithful to finish the good work He has begun in you. He did not begin the good work on accident or in error. He began it on purpose, and He is faithful to bring to completion the good work He has begun in you. Sit with that for a minute. You know you. God knows you. And yet, He is faithful to complete the good work He begun in you on purpose. Some of you here have felt like frauds for a long time. Some of you are going to walk into work tomorrow feeling like a giant fake. Some of you have felt like a fraud for a long time. You've been bearing this burden of imposter syndrome in the valuable roles and opportunities you've been given. And it's a shame, really, because most often, how do we end up responding to those feelings of imposter syndrome? Well, if you're like me, you end up feeling anxiety and feeling like you're faking it. If they only knew, oh, no. Anxiety and feeling like you're faking it. Thus, we risk missing, missing out on the joy and the potential that Jesus offers us in those very same Opportunities, those very same situations, these invitations to grow and become more. Imagine if Peter had, had have responded differently. What if Peter in these moments is like, I'm out, starts swimming away from Jesus, you know, or like, nope, that's good, thanks, I'm an idiot, you know. What if he gave up? What if he went away? What would he have missed out on? Likewise, I think we miss out on the joy and the potential that Jesus is offering us, these invitations to grow and become. Looking to Jesus and living into our God-given roles will likely be a lifelong project. Spoiler alert. What God is doing in you will be a lifelong project. You will never reach one day where it's like, oh, that Tuesday, that's when I arrived. That's when I became the whole deal, the complete package. I'm done. No, it's a lifelong project. Looking to Jesus and living into your God-given role, 
will likely be a lifelong project. But here's the thing. We can purposefully look to people like Peter and gain some valuable insight and much-needed encouragement. We, too, like Peter, can discipline ourselves. We can exercise our faith. We can admit our ignorance. And we can confess our sin and our doubts. And when we do, just like Peter, we will find our gracious Savior is there. Our gracious Savior is there to grow us, to send us, and to give us the confidence we need. If you know that God called you and He sends you out and He's equipped you to be used in His service for His glory, uh, for, the, for, the, for the work of His kingdom, what more do you need? Man, if He's with me, who can stand against me? Wow! It gives us confidence. There are all kinds of ways that our fears and our insecurities can hijack our joy and steal our confidence in this Christian calling. And it can really make us feel like fakes, can make us feel like frauds. But just as Jesus was faithful and present and patient with Peter, we have this great assurance that through the Holy Spirit, Jesus will be the same with us. You heard me right. Just as Jesus was faithful, present, and patient with Peter, Jesus will be faithful, present, and patient with you. That, my friends, is good news. How can you be so quiet when I'm telling you something so good? Man, that makes me happy. With Jesus, none of us are imposters. In Jesus, you are who He says you are. Wrap your brain around that. In Jesus, you are who He says you are. Let His voice resonate louder than all the other voices in your, in your brain, the ones that are telling you doubtful things, diminishing things. In Jesus, you are who He says you are. If you're going to get a tattoo for my sermon today, here's what it would be. Jesus, Jesus, greater than imposter syndrome. Jesus is greater than imposter syndrome. Jesus is greater. He's always greater. So run to Him. Stop running to the imposter syndrome. Believe Him. Stop believing the imposter syndrome. Run to Jesus. He's greater than your imposter syndrome. Jesus doesn't change. His attitude is always gracious. His heart is always toward us. Yesterday, today, and forever. Rest in that truth, my friends. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. He is the author and the finisher of our calling. He will complete the good work that He has begun in you. That promise is based on Him, not you. He will complete the good work He has begun in you. He is faithful. By faith, Jesus has equipped you to be and to do everything He has called you to be and to do. He is able to do infinitely more than you could ever ask or imagine. Wow. I'd like to finish with this. I'd like to finish with the closing meditation from the Apostle Paul. Ephesians chapter 3. Listen to these words. Let it drive like a little hammer on this nail. Drive it deeper into your soul and into your psyche, okay? When I think of all this, 
I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his Spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God, who is able, through his mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So now we're going we're gonna to play a little bit of music. Uh, we're going to have a moment or two to sit with this, to confess some things. Maybe uh, look clearly at yourself and say, Jesus, I want to see me how you see me. I want to see the disconnection, the, the dissonance between my self-perception and the way you perceive me, the way I am in you. I think there are some things we need to lay out there and say, heal this, heal this. I've been letting the voices of my self-talk speak more loudly and with more authority in my life than I've been letting you, Jesus, speak in my life. It's a failure of imagination for me to live one more day believing that I'm an imposter. It's a failure of my reality because of what you've done, Jesus, for me to go into one more day believing that I don't have what it takes. Because you said it, I believe it. Who you think I am, that's who I am. And I will live in that reality. So we're going to take a few moments and we're just going to pray. We're going to sit with the Lord. And then uh, we're going to uh, share communion. And then we're going to sing a song. Sound all right? Father, as we come to you, I pray that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts to understand all that you're doing, but also all that you're saying to us. God, it's so easy to start believing the, the lies, the lies that come from within us, the lies that come from around us. God, may we hear that, the, the true voice speaking to us through your scriptures, through the work of your Holy Spirit. God, may we take confidence. May we feel valued because of who we are in you. Our identity comes from who you think we are. You've come to us, you've called us, even when we were sinking and even when we were drowning and failing, you called us, you pulled us to yourself and you said, come with me. I think you have what it takes. So God, I pray that you would help us to believe that. Speak loudly in our hearts and our minds, we ask. God, we give this next few minutes to you. God, would you speak? Would you draw us to yourself, we ask.